Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. With you as always, I'm Aaron, and with me as always is Dave and Fredo. How you doing, guys? Good, hey. good. And uh, so this episode is going to be kind of a tis the season episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. It's uh, going to be... Um, um, well, we, we were talking about uh, the sound of music, and Fredo said he won't spin around on a mountain. But it's, um, you know, five of, five of our favorite things. We're we're, we're going to be it's going to be not just about Star Wars. We kind of gave each other carte blanche to whatever, you know, twenty twenty one. Whatever we've been geeking out over, found new appreciation for. Um, it's just going to give us a chance to, like I said, kind of um, highlight our few of our favorite things so um mm-hmm. but it's the who Dat jedi podcast so we we have to start with trivia um and so here we can we can oh no we'll just do it as normal i was going to give us each six questions <laughs> um all right so uh fredo you're up first who's nearly pounded into quote orange goo unquote for an accident on the streets of Tatooine. Who's nearly pounded oh. into orange goo for an accident on the streets of Tatooine? Yeah, until they said Tatooine, I was wondering who the heck you were talking about, but that would have been Jar Jar Binks. That was Jar Jar Binks. Which, did we know that Gungans have orange blood now? Is that what we're to get I didn't from think that? think it was orange, but you know. Because he's not orange. Um but uh, all right, Dave. Whose head does Newt Gunray want on his desk before he'll sign Count Dooku's treaty? Whose head does Newt Gunray want on his desk before he'll sign Count Dooku's treaty? I think it was Padme. It was Padme Amidala's. Uh-huh. He really didn't like her. Well, she showed him up. So I think we need a backstory there. Um, before the Phantom Menace, why they did he ask her out and she said no? <laughs> see, is he Star Gungan Wars was... first incel? Is that what this is? Well, I was gonna say they pulled a gun on each other. I think that might be enough, maybe. All right, here's mine. What ship's distinctive sound effect was created for a new hope by mixing the whine of car tires on a wet road with? The trumpet of an elephant. What ship's distinctive sound effect was created for A New Hope by mixing the whine of car tires on a wet road with the trumpet of an elephant? I'm going to say that's a TIE fighter. Yes, it was the TIE fighters. You know that's that's something i'm every time they have a feature on star wars and they talk to ben burt about how he created the sounds i'm enraptured by that it's just that's fun stuff i could watch two hours on that and they only give them like about five minutes you know so um because what's amazing is when you think about it that's the sound you didn't know you didn't know what a tie fighter sounded until he put that in there but that's their sound Oh yeah. yeah. You don't think, you know, you, you know, if somebody put a the the sound like put a 65 Chevelle or something behind a tie fighter, it'd be like, what's wrong with that? Yep. No, and you know, and that's again, that's why I've said it a gazillion times. The the lasers 
the laser blasts in the force awakens you know from poe's rifle at the beginning sounded so artificial you know whereas because we got used to this organic you know laser blast sound you know i mean before i found out that the laser blasts were from hitting a wire i mean we used to hit a wire you know because you'd get kind of a cool sound didn't realize that was the laser blast but anyway well all right well let's move on to raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens person's messed up let me tell you brown paper packages tied up with strings these are a few of my favorite things so 2021 what has been geeking us out what have we found new appreciation for um and again this can be this could be anything um and because i'm talking right now i'm going to start it off so you guys don't steal my thunder here but mine's the most recent one and i'm just going to say the beatles Because I've always been a passive, I've enjoyed Beatles music. It's kind of like the Eagles. I mean, and it was actually a documentary that got me more into the Eagles as well. So I've, you know, yeah, I like the Beatles just fine, and I appreciate what they did for you know rock and roll. But I was never like, you know, I'm not like some of our friends out there who, you know, you know, just. It, it that's Heather their Park thing. Is going through every song. That's ever. their. I mean, that's wow. their thing. Yeah. Um, we got to do a crossover with them at some point if they'll if they're agreeable to that. I will tell you this: uh, if you haven't watched the the Get Back on Disney Plus, um, I'm not going to say that everybody has to, because it's. um, But if you've ever been in a band, if you've ever been in a band, um, or if you have any interest in group dynamics and how to manage different personalities, watch these three episodes. Um, But it it gave me such a greater appreciation for each member of the Beatles and what they brought to the table just in this, because the whole thing, this documentary of um, basically creating the let it be album is what it ends up being. Um, but you just, again, and maybe it's cause I, I've been in a band and I know creativity is easier than creativity and collaboration. And when you have, when you watch the, and then to do that in as the biggest rock band to have ever walked the earth, you know, I mean, it is just incredible to, to watch them navigate. And then also just to see some of these songs, like you get to see how get back was 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 created i mean it was what i mean conceived it was paul mccartney just messing around on a bass and he starts just kind of scatting and then like eventually it's this their next hit single um so to watch them in that creative process but anyway it gave me a more appreciation for the beatles because they stopped performing in front of people and they stopped being a band and became artists. They, they, instead of being performers, they were 
artists. It was like they used albums just as a painter uses canvas and, and oils. Um, and so that's what they did. They went in the recording studio and they created. Um, and to watch that process is incredible. And I still contend that Ringo Starr is the most fortunate person on the planet. He's an awesome drummer, <laughs> but watching him through this thing, he he's actually probably the smartest one as well. Because the you know you have George, Paul, and um, John like John. going round and round and round about how a song should be, and Ringo's just sitting back there smoking a cigarette. He plays his drums. Doesn't he? Doesn't get over riled about anything. He just, I think he knows, dude. This is going. I'm going to be able to ride this wave as long as I want. I'm not going to. You want me to do this on the drums? Sure, I'll try that. You know, but anyway. So just if you've ever had to deal with group dynamics or been in a band, you need to watch this just because it's it's just uh, like I said. So now it's making me explore the Beatles catalog a little bit more. You know some songs that I didn't know were out there. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's what I'm currently geeking out over. Yeah. Awesome. I was just going to say right quick. It was, it was surprising when you start watching you go like the task that they set themselves up to like write, record a new whole new album in 28 days and then be ready to perform it live in front of a global audience. And you're like, you know, most people would pick smaller Everest to climb, but they're like, we can do this. That's amazing. So, um, so Fred, you want to go? To... Okay, Fred, go ahead. I guess I'll go next. I guess what I've been geeking out uh, most recently, since I'm gonna go, uh, I've been going back and rereading Dune. And uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the adaptation from Denis Villeneuve. So, so it kind of prompted me to go back and reread it and redid that. So I've been kind of just reading, you know, what reading the other books, and whatever. And I'm just—it's one of those things that I'm like, you know, doing this a lot like Lord of the Rings or even Star Wars. It's it's something that's icon and an icon. It just it sits on a pedestal, and people have to like reverently pass by on the way to discovering everything else in that field, you know, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, movies, whatever. But sometimes, like, when you, you know, kind of get to come back to it at a different point in life and get to see all the different stuff that it's hinting at, the different topics that it's touching upon. And it's one of those things that uh, I think, you know, seeing it as a little kid, seeing David David Lynch movie, you know, as a little seven-year-old kind of blew my mind. And then seeing this versions it kind of gives me appreciation for how difficult it is to take something that's on a written page and bring it to life because the perception i have reading the book is one the adaptations that i've seen now are three different adaptations i've seen now but then you start finding all the art artists have been influenced by it and how you know will take it and run with it and it's just fascinating to see how different people interpret the same written words on a different canvas uh, but yeah, just I've I've been enjoying it tremendously. I enjoyed it tremendously. Watching it in the theaters, I saw it again in HBO, and then just it just made me want to go back and start re picking up some of the stuff in that universe because it's very interesting and it it forces you to start thinking about different things. And 
don't know. It's it's kind of you know put me in a good place to kind of start looking at some of the other stuff that I've been, you know, again pillars, columns, you know, stuff that's on a pedestal and kind of reassess it. It's awesome. Yeah, I I had never read it. I had never seen any of the other adaptations before, and Kate got uh you know sat me down and it's like okay you got to watch the david lynch one and then we'll watch the new one and um i enjoyed them both because they were both so different from one another and i think again that sort of speaks to the the source material um being its own entity as well it's like they have these voiceovers in the in the lynch um in the lynch version which is like them thinking but it's mm-hmm. like them projecting their thoughts outward, which if you think about the like the plot line of the some of the story elements, it actually it, it kind of makes sense for them to do that. Even it, it would be awkward and it is a little awkward, but like given the fact that they have the these, you know, telepathic kinds of abilities, um you you getting into their head and hearing their inner dialogue actually Mm -hmm. is really kind of an interesting style choice because like you're not going to be able to hear those thoughts that are written on the page when you just try to act it out you're not inside the characters heads in the same way that you would be if you're reading it and so i thought like that was a really interesting choice and then it was and again i was equally interested by the new version and they're like well we're not doing that because <laughs> it's kind of weird to be doing that um we're gonna go to we're gonna approach this a completely different way um and i, I liked both and you can tell the difference between say somebody like david lynch who was influenced by a lot of impressionist 60s early 70s experimental movie making stuff would there do something like that Versus somebody like Denis Villeneuve, who's very much a modern cinema filmmaker, you know, whose mm-hmm. influence is Star Wars, right? You know, so they, they, he's, they're both coming at the same thing, but the the things that form their minds and their processes are wildly different. Dave, what's what's your first favorite thing? Um, I'm going to start with video games. Uh, the so I played a lot of games for the first time this year um and a lot of them got a thumbs up um a lot of a lot of good gaming done but i'd say there were only five that i'd say that were must plays for people and the one that was at the top of the list was uh katamari damasi which um oh yeah that one (laughs) i'll explain um it's the okay so there's it's a game where you basically are pushing like a little sort of magnetic ball around and you're like this little guy and you're pushing this ball and you're rolling it around your environment and as you come into contact with things they stick to the ball and so you it's like the snowball effect where you push in a snowball down the side of a mountain 
and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it just gets huge. And so you doing this, that's the dynamic of the game, is you're trying to get this ball as big as you can make it. And so you can't roll over just anything. That This is the trick to the game. You can't roll over anything when you first start out. You don't have enough mass and momentum to pull that off. So you have to start small and then roll over things that are a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And eventually you're rolling over things like battleships and skyscrapers. And um, it's such a fun game. And it was something that I'd missed on original release um this came out like back in like 2004 ish something like that and uh totally flew by i i'd been aware of it but it wasn't anything that i actually sought out i was like well that looks kind of cool but I'm, I'm not gonna drop 50 bucks on it whatever moving on and so i was able to circle back to it with the switch um, it goes on. It's on. It's on the. It's on modern platforms. Um, it's. I think it's on Steam now. Um, goes on sale periodically. I could not recommend this game more to people. It is so much fun, and there's something sort of innocent about it as well. Um, in that you're not. You're not like, you know, shooting your gun at some bad guy or whatever, and you know there's blood everywhere and it's not grand theft auto or anything you know you're just rolling a ball and um it's real weird too like really japanese <laughs> highly japanese no offense to our um, japanese listeners out there i mean like there's a thing that there is there's a dynamic there if you've like consumed Japanese culture at all, especially in like video games that never got a like an American release. If you go back and you play some of these games, like it's like there's there's not even a better description for it than this game is very Japanese. <laughs> it's not an insult. It's amazing. I love it. It's so much fun. Um best best game best new game uh that i experienced this year by the way dave right now i just want to look it's on sale in the switch store in the digital store for seven dollars and 49 cents that is a steal that is a bargain pull the trigger do it (laughs) will do so my next favorite thing um is again in the in the music vein here and i've mentioned it on this podcast before and it's uh rick beato's youtube channel what's up everyone today on riffs ranked we're gonna do some acdc um if you even if i mean it, it appeals to the the trained musical geek in me because he he goes like one of his big things on there is what makes this song great and he goes through songs from i mean it's from the the 70s all the way you know to current day and he'll go through and and he'll go through the entire song of what you know he'll analyze the melody he'll talk about you know how he'll solo track so you can hear what the bass player is doing what the guitar player is doing um so it's it's fascinating just to see how these things are put together. Um, 
and he gets into, you know, a lot of music theory. So like they're going from this chord to that chord to this chord. And this is why. And so it, it's making me reminisce to my undergrad, you know, um, which is kind of weird that I find that exciting. But but then he also what's really cool, it appeals to another um, population where he'll listen to Spotify's top 10 songs. And he'll just kind of give a, you know, reaction of, oh, yeah, this is a good song because it's doing this, what, it, you know, or, yeah, this this is catchy, but it's, you know, it's candy, you know. So he'll he'll go through the he'll go through the stuff that's popular now. Um, and as a guy who's probably of my vintage, maybe a little bit older, maybe my brother's age um, to be, you know, to not just be stuck in the 70s and 80s, but to you know, show some reverence for stuff that's being released today, um, I think makes it really appealing. So it's a really cool channel. Um, and he's had, actually, he just recently had an interview with Sting, which was fascinating. Um, it, yeah, it's, it was just fascinating listen to him talk creating music with Sting. Um, so anyway, that's Rick Beato's YouTube channel. Um, so give it a whirl there's a lot of stuff on there um anywhere from beginning music theory to like i said just the what makes this song great stuff so yeah check it out that's really that's really been my favorite of his the what makes this song great because uh i mean and he'll do every kind of something he'll he rebuilt he reconstructed acdc's back in black because he got hit with a youtube uh, copyright strike so he decided okay well if you know Cover won't get me that, so he basically recorded all pieces so he could break it down. But I think my favorite ones are when he did Rush, I forget which side, which song Rush songs he did, and then he did a couple of Tool songs, which again is just very interesting. When he starts break, when he start breaking all the layers down. Yeah, I'm very rock. It's like okay, let's let's actually take a look at what these three or these four guys did and just kind of ripping it apart and show you all the inner pieces and how it all fits together. I think that gets really interesting. It's a really interesting and informative and really fun channel if like i said you gotta love me if you love music he does a great job my second one is gonna be i'm actually gonna go back to dave's idea of video games because uh i haven't just been playing animal crossing i've just been, haven't just been keeping my nine to five at, at nintendo's island emporium i've been trying a lot of uh little indie games so like i you know like i said i've been looking like hey this, this is on sale so picked up that cells picked up hades but uh, the one that I've been playing most recently, which is kind of funny because it's a game from a few years back. It's called, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, it's Return of the Obra Din. Which is, it was made by the same guy who made this really funky game, which you should play called Papers, Please. And the, the, the whole idea there is you're playing the the border crossing guard, the uh, the uh, border crossing flunky at a east east uh, Soviet, Soviet bloc country. And so, but anyway, Return of the Oberdin, you play the role of this insurance agent, and you're investigating this ship that just miraculously came back after being lost at sea, but the crew's all dead or missing. So your job is to trace back and discover. What was the story that happened to the crew? And all you get is a little notebook with the list, you know, the the list of all the crew members and passengers, and a couple of photos showing you everybody, and uh, and you get a little watch that will rewind time to the moment when somebody passed away. 
but it's all still images and little, you know, period piece music. And so all of a sudden you're just having to go back in time. What the point is is you got to identify what happened to what person, how they died, by what method, and who killed them. And it's kind of like a whodunit. It's very, very completely different because it's very, I mean, there's not, nobody's shooting at you. Nothing is jumping at you. There is no running. There is no uh, gunning. There is nothing, you know, nothing of that. It's very. This takes you all the way back to you are in a forest. Do <laughs> very you want much to go so, north or south? There's a moment where you like find somebody's uh, remains and you hit the watch and all of a sudden you see the point of view where that person slumped, you know, slumping over as they're getting shot by uh, a creature emerging from the ocean. Or you look back where you know a giant tentacle rose out of the out of the ocean to grab this person to hoist them up into the air. So stuff like that's happening, but it doesn't quite reveal everything all at once. So you have forces you to kind of track and backtrack, and you're going up and down the various decks of the ship. So it's a really I was surprised the other day. I was like, oh, I've been playing this for four hours, and but then I looked. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you get all that excitement when you look at the ledge and go, I identify this because you'll only get confirmation that you got it right when you get three right in a row. So if you, you can guess, and some people do guess, but if you if you get three uh, identities right with the, the method of death and who killed them, you go, okay, you get three rights. And slowly you get the revelation of everything that happens. So it's, it's a very cool little trippy game. It's not too expensive. And I said, it's, on the, it's one of those indie things that you go and you just kill time and you kill a lot of time with. You know, the games that like I find that are most appealing are the ones that you can just pick up and play for 40 minutes and then put, put mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can you can quit it at any time, but it's more along the lines of once you get that 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 sugary treat of, oh, you solve this, you want to keep going. <laughs> awesome. All right, so I'm gonna go a little more uh, modern. Um, some of the stuff we've been talking about has been retro. I'm going uh, TV show Ted Lasso. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. Um, we've watched that start to finish. My wife and I. Um, Barbecue sauce. Our old- <laughs> Barbecue sauce. Uh, our oldest daughter has taken a liking to this show. Um We've re we've rewatched episodes. I think we've seen season one like probably three times in its entirety at this point. Um, and so it's safe to say we're big fans of it at this point. Um, and I think like it's because the show does so many things right. The and that's really the important part of it, which is um, it's it's competently put together. Like you think about it just from the idea of the central protagonist, which is somebody who's foreign to um, this country and and the customs and uh, the sport, soccer itself. Um, So you get kind of this kinship with him as an audience member right out of the gate, which is like, well, this is all foreign to me, too. I identify with this person. Um, so right there, there's this connection that's made. And then from that, you get to have all these fun, you know, mishaps that spring forth from this. Um, they can do a lot of fun things with the sport that maybe a show that's a little more, um, 
steeped in the knowledge and the history uh, of how it's supposed to be played or this, that, and the other. It's like, no, they don't, we don't go into any of that. It's more just like, okay, we're just sort of riffing on those things and we're, and we're having fun with them. Um, the characters react to situations in a realistic manner. That's another really big one for me where you get a typical trope and it's like, oh, our characters are in one of those situations. And so this is how a TV character will respond in this situation. And then they don't do that. <laughs> they, they react the way that you or I might react to something. And I think like that subverts expectations um, because you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this where the, you know, the there's a there's a mishap romantically and i know how this is gonna play no no it doesn't play out that way at all um and, and again it comes from a place of realism where we can identify with these characters and it's like well that's how i might have reacted or that's how you know i know somebody who would have reacted that way um and so that's another thing about it um in terms of the craftsmanship that goes into this show and I also wanted to just say, like, I think the positive messaging. Um, and I think that gets a little over told about this particular show, which is like everybody gravitates towards it. It's like it's saving my life right now during the pandemic or whatever. And it's like I think a lot of people attach a lot of meaning to the show that um, may not may or may not have been intended in the first place. But I think the reason that I think that people um have taken to it in such a way is that the characters are flawed. Um, and so they're deeply relatable in that way, but they're all sort of coming at life from this perspective of trying to do right, like do right by themselves, but also do right by others. And so like their hearts are good. And so you, you've got these characters who are, are fairly realistic their hearts are in the right place and and people are like wow this is a breath of fresh air because i don't see that on television i don't and i think like there's something sort of aspirational about seeing people like that on tv where it's like wow i would i would love to be able to handle my own baggage or my own demons in a way that this character deals with it because they're flawed, same as us, but they 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 face those those failings, and and I think like for for the most part, there's some exceptions on the show, but for the most part, they <laughs> well, there is yeah, there's one big one this season, um, but I think like they 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 face their their issues, and they work to overcome them. And, and I, I'm not going to sit here and say this is the perfect show or that everybody will love this show because I think that's, that's the, the way to turn Aaron off. Um, but uh, I think there's really good reasoning behind why so many people have gone ape for it. Um, and I'm one of those people. I, I, again, we've watched it all and we'll continue to watch it going forward. I always wonder how people, by the way, hand on heart, I'm an avid soccer supporter, I'm a big time Arsenal supporter, so 
I was already steeped in soccer culture and little parlance, the language. So I was wondering how people who weren't, who had no idea what, you know, you know, a lot of the vernacular, how they would re you know, react to it. Because one of the things that I found surprising about that last of that first season is that they're not afraid to go, nope, you totally are the fish out of water. Not mm -hmm. just regarding life in another country, which you know, Ted and Coach Beard faced, but also you're playing a completely different sport with completely different parlance, with a different vernacular, with different expectations. And now, you know, I was like, will people get it? But then one of the smart things that Ted Lasso does is that it's not about soccer per se. It's a show about a coach coaching a football team, a soccer team, but it's not about that per se. It's about the dynamics and the relationships. And you're right, I think one of the smartest things that I think um, Jason Sudeikis and his writing team did is they were cognizant that they were not going to solve, people are not going to get fixed in 30 minutes. Like yeah. it happens a lot of times in comedic and sitcoms where, oh, there's a problem, there's some miscommunication, they butt heads, but then everything gets back to normal and everything gets resolved in time for the closing credits. No, they're very willing to leave stuff hanging and leave people, uh, how was it the one said, no, so, you know, stuff gets broken and no matter how much sorry, you no, know, how much you say you're sorry, that doesn't put it back together. You know, that's yeah, the, a very adult mentality. This, the, sh mentality. the show is serialized mm -hmm. in nature, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, to your point, mm -hmm. which is like, it Helps. keeps you coming. Yeah, it keeps you coming back week after week after week because you're like, what next? Like, how are they going to pay off, you know, this particular situation or this particular character dynamic? Um, and they build and they build and, and they do it in a really smart way. And it's, it's like you said, it's not like a reset button. All right, everything's back to normal. You know, they, they don't they don't fall into that. So. Well, cool. Uh, my next one, um, kind of short and sweet, um, is actually uh, LPs. Um, my my brother uh, bought me a record player a couple years back, and and sent me actually a good chunk of his. Um, record collection and they, they've just kind of sat there ever since I got them. And, uh, but then when we were back for my, uh, my dad's funeral, um, my brother and sister and I, after, <laughs> after going to a bar and having more than a few beers, we then had to go to the record store. Cause my brother wanted to go to a record store and we all ended up like just buying a bunch of LPs. And so brought it home and, and Brittany and I have actually started listening to LPs more, like when we're cooking in the kitchen or if we're cleaning around the house or whatnot. Um, and there is just something, um, I'm not going to get up there and say, cause you know, people will argue, you know, LPs are better than CDs. CDs are better than blah, 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 blah. Um, the, the thing is it all comes down to nostalgia. I remember when my mom was a stay at home mom and I would sit there all day long in front of the stereo and looking through records and playing records. Um, and so it, it just, it's that, that whole nostalgia factor. There's a warmth to them. It drives me crazy though, that, um, the keys are off because of the speed of the turntable. Mm. I think that's going a little bit too fast, too slow. Then it doesn't sound right because it's, you know, either sharp or flat. Um, but I mean, that's, that's just been something kind of in it. So I have been more inclined to like, I would like to have that on LP 
I would like to have that on LP to the point where today I was like, I need to start getting some Beatles stuff on LP, you know, um, not download it to Apple music, but it made me think I should just get this on LP cause it'd be kind of nice to have. So, um, but that's, that's been something that's just been a 2021 kind of geek out for us. So like I said, short and sweet. Do you, do you have, do you do that Fredo? Do you have enough records you collect? Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten, I've gotten back into getting records after a long while of, of just cause for a long time I was just portable and just like a digital music. Mm-hmm. But I found one, one to, to one of the irons points, I think, what I've been cognizant of is just because I like an artist or I like a, a particular song, I don't necessarily get the album. I got to like the majority, if not the whole album for me to get it. Cause it's an experience to put a record and just let it play. I find that that's something that particularly older artists were more cognizant of that where you put a song in the sequence of the record. Well, you, if you, if you fast forward to rewind, you run the risk of ruining your record. You know, well, that, but your listening experience also shifts when you can just simply hit a button and skip skip that song, you yeah. know. And you know there there was an element of selection by the, the artist, the producer, the engineer, the mixer of, okay, this is these are the songs we're selecting because we can't put 15, 20, 25 songs. Yeah, we can make a double album, but even that's only 14 songs, 15 songs. So, depending on how big you are, or how big your album want to be, your album, you can only put so many. And you had to be selective as to when, what, where, where, you know, where, which song went, so that it really does put you. I mean, it's it's like a journey. It's an experience when you play a record and you just play it, play it, play out. Because the artist is like, I'm gonna I'm take you on an adventure with me, and it it sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad, sometimes it's cathartic. But I find that it's a different experience when you do it that way versus when you know I got my earbuds on and I'm just you know fast tracking through uh, in Spotify. Different different listening experiences. I guarantee you, to your point about like that sort of curation, mm-hmm. more than one producer since the advent of CDs has verbally like verbalized the idea that, oh, you know, people have the ability to skip songs nowadays, so we'll worry about the order later or never. And I think like that sort of construction of albums... Um, there's probably a, just a lot of tug and war with a uh, tug of war with that. Um, and we collect at this point, I got uh, Kate, a, a, a player uh, like a couple years ago. And so again, it's like there's curation on the audience's part. It's like, mm-hmm. I want an album. <laughs> I don't want uh, a record that has two songs on it that I like, and that's it. You know, it's, that's not what I want. I want the album that I can listen to the whole thing and let it wash over me. Well, and um, also reading the the jacket, you know, mm-hmm. that was that was that's part of the deal as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you got liner notes or lyrics, you know, remember when but finding the lyrics of the album was like a big deal. Yeah. So, uh, next thing for me on the list, and actually, I'm going to go Star Wars. Is Star Wars Visions? I've been ah. look. I love anime. I've always been saying, look, we need a Star Wars anime. We'll be a gangbuster. We got it this year. And I love going back. What I like about this, this the, the vignette version of it is it's not like a TV show. It's not like Ted Lasso where you are, come back next week and see it and you can see all the episodes. This is something you can, maybe you just feel like watching the first one, the duel. Boom. See it. 
or maybe you feel like seeing a different uh, episode. Boom, you see our Christmas vignette, you see that. And I think that does create a dynamic where you can enjoy these little morsefuls of just really good, fun Star Wars action told really elegantly and beautifully in different ways. So I've been, I've been enjoying going back to like, eh, you know, let me just watch it and, boop, and just watch it and enjoy it. You know what's interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is the problem with the way they really, it's also my problem. Um, I still have not watched all the episodes of Visions. I enjoyed the ones that I watched, but because it was, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of my kind of, I don't, I'm, I'm not diagnosed with ADD. It's just, you know, but because of that nature, it's like, I don't have, Oh, it's Wednesday. It's time for my new, my new show. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, I watched a couple and I just kind of moved on to other things, you know? It's, um, so, um, but I, I, I agree with you that it did give me a more appreciation for anime because I was never really ever turned on. I've said this on the podcast, never really turned on by anime, but I, thought this was really kind of cool and then to see the different you know styles of anime um Mm -hmm. so so yeah it's a very good thing to be geeked out over that that almost made my list but i left it off because i haven't watched the whole series but i've watched a couple of those episodes a couple times so i like that we dovetailed out of talking about lps into talking about that because in a way that is like consuming an lp Mm -hmm. um or an album it's just like you can just put it on <laughs> and just let it sort of just go through and, and you, it washes over you and each section is different enough to where you get something different you know every you know however long each section is like 10 to 15 minutes probably or maybe a little less than that it's yeah it's um, a, from like 10 to i think the longest one's 19 minutes yeah yeah and so it's like you get that story for that length of time, and then it's on to something that could be just completely different, right? And again, that's a lot like consuming an album. Um, and so I thought that that's the, I, I I always consume those things that way. Once you have it all like together like that, I'll I'll watch it beginning to end. Um, I'm not one of those people that will fast forward to the lightsaber fights in the movie i'll never i'll never do that i'll 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 watch beginning to end unless i I, unless i fall into the middle somewhere like it's on tv or something um i always try to watch the whole work um but like you said you got the flexibility you can you can do whatever you want with it well on this theme i'm going to talk about uh my favorite album this year um and it was uh tom petty's wildflowers This is this is not a new album to probably people of our generation. Um, it's been around quite a, quite a while now, but I, I honestly I like it better every single time that I listen to it, and it has never gotten old. Um, and I think it's just it sort of encapsulates what we were talking about. You can put it on and you can listen to it uninterrupted without ever having to skip over anything. Or turn it off because you're bored with it. Um, 
there's you're you're massively disincentivized from turning it off because you're like oh but this song and this song and this song and this other song are all coming up <laughs> so I, I can't turn it off i gotta i gotta i gotta wait till i get to that point if i were to start a record collection like today it'd probably be in my like top five of albums that i would want to get to start a collection um, and Kate got this for me last Christmas and it was like the super deluxe edition, which it had, you know, it's, it's like, you had four records in there and you're just, okay, here's another one. And it was like, you know, some studio stuff in there and it was, you know, it was like the full experience. Um, but I never get tired of it and it, it, it's, it's a great listen and I recommend, uh, rec- recommend it to anybody. It's not like his definitive album. I was just going to say, looking at the the track list, it's there. There aren't a lot that you are instantly recognizable to. I mean, probably was, probably by title anyway. But because um, I'm, I'm I'm not a huge Tom Petty fan. That doesn't mean I don't like him. I'm just saying I'm not a huge. Right. You know, I I know the hits right. Um, if, so if you go back and you look at it, um, there's this is towards the tail end of what one would consider like his definitive works. Right. I think like he's, he really got started in the late seventies and by the mid nineties, he was, he was not done, but most of his like best work was, was already out at that point. And so like, this was like on the tail end of that. Um, but it's just such a, um, it's just such a marvelous collection of, of songs. Cause like there's so, I think there's just so much variety there. I think like that's part of the, part of the reason I really enjoy it. And, and Aaron, I would encourage you to sit down because like, they'll probably be, be like three or four on there. You'll be like, Oh yeah, I know this song. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you know, just didn't know the name of it or just hadn't heard it in 15 years. Cause you, you're not listening to the right radio stations or whatever, but um, I know Rick Diado has some uh, Tom Petty stuff on his channel. So, mm-hmm. interesting thing about Tom Petty, uh, Don Felder, the guitar player for the Eagles, um, who was responsible for basically writing the music for Hotel California, um, was Tom Petty's guitar teacher. Mm. So there you go in Florida. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, my next one. Um, actually I'm going to go into Star Wars as well Fredo and it's going to be the Clone Wars Um, and this is thanks to the Bad Batch and all of the Disney Plus Star Wars content that we've had basically has made me want to go back because I first watched the Clone Wars series just because like "Ah, I I need to watch this and I you know it was my went through it all now I find myself going back and re-watching episodes and entire seasons um, because of, again, well, even because of Rebels and um, where I got attached to Captain Rex. And so it's like, what, what did I miss, you know, when I first watched the Clone Wars, you know? So um, that, that's been, I've, I've gained a much broader appreciation for that series than I had um, a year ago. And again, it's because, you know, Dave Filoni's making me want to go back and check out the things that I missed, which is, a, I mean, 
it's a good way to keep money in your pocket, Dave. So, um, but um, yeah, so the Clone Wars has been mine, and I find I find I enjoy it more and more each time that I watch these episodes. There's more stuff going on that I that I missed. So, it's interesting. I was watching something. I don't know if it was on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. Somebody like redone like what if Order sixty six had failed, and it shows all the Jedi taking out the clones, and I kind of went, you know. If I'd seen that in 2005, I wouldn't have cared. But having seen the Clone Wars, knowing that many of the names of the clones behind them, you know, behind those helmets, it kind of hit me in a different way. It's now, you know, now you're cognizant of who it is that is executing Order 66. And I just kind of, you know, it kind of made me stop and go like, wait a minute, I'm having, you know, you have feelings for the clones now, you care about these characters. And you go like, that's the trick that Dave Filoni pulled with the Clone Wars is, he took this army of faceless, you know, copy-paste uh, uh, background characters and gave them life and personality and purpose and ideas and beliefs and, you know, made them matter in a, in a way that they had to me up until that point. Well, but then the other part, I mean, but the other part of it also is just a broader appreciation for um, the fall of the Jedi and and also... I mean, just the nature of the force. Um, yeah. So I, like I said, it's it, it, but because of the things we've been talking about and watching on Disney plus all the new stuff, it's making me go back and really check out what I missed in the old. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the best things about star Wars though, is when you can do that. And it's like, this whole scene has different context now in light of me seeing this other thing. Yeah, yep. that's a lot of fun. Fredo? So kind of touching on albums, it's kind of funny because I didn't mean to um, kind of start rewatching this like crazy. Um, a few months, few weeks back, actually, uh, CZ Top's bassist, Dusty Hill, passed away. They're big man from Houston. So, uh, and uh, somehow, someway, I ended up watching a couple of clips on YouTube of their live show in Germany. Which was in 1980, so three years before they became one of the biggest bands in the world. And it's so funny because they made me go back and listen to that album, their Live in Germany album, and listen and watch this video. I mean, by this point, I mean, for those of you that don't know, the Reverend Billy Gibbons, the guitarist, main songwriter, CC Top, was Jimi Hendrix's favorite guitar player. Like, it's he's one of, because he was a studio guitarist for the longest time. And so he got together with these two other guys and from the blues rock band, and they kicked around for, for 15, 16 years before they became famous. But anyway, there was this show that they did in Germany at... Uh, you might know the name of the show, TV show, Dave, Rocktoplast. I don't know if it was Maybe. supposed to be some sort of German TV show where they would put like <laughs> three or four, you know, foreign bands on TV, like late night, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so they got them there in 1980, like I said, three years before the Eliminator album comes out. And they're just playing like their stuff like LaGrange and uh, Jesus Just Left Chicago and Just Got Paid and Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers and such and just seeing them before they became big is kind of like because they're way more i mean the synth sound hadn't entered the picture so it's very much blues rock bass 
but it's so enthralling watching them because it's like it's like you're seeing somebody before they became that somebody that they became and that's always exciting and interesting to me i love it yeah well i mean we were talking about that stuff with the beatles you know like those sort mm-hmm. of intimate portraits and, and understanding um what goes into the art and mm-hmm. and how how does a band like hit it big in that way Somebody posed that question the other day on the on uh, Twitter. It's just like, if a song doesn't hit it big, does mm-hmm. that like decrease its value in some way? Because because I think like this song is one of the greatest songs of all time. I don't even remember what the song was, but mm-hmm. you know, like it was an interesting philosophical question because um, all songs are that way until until they hit mm-hmm. and. Um, and so, yeah, it is kind of fun just to like go back and like, uh, so you're almost like a voyeur. You mentioned, you mentioned the Beatles thing and, and it's again, the, the Rick Beato channel that I mentioned, he'll get into this and it's, um, not to say that our music that we all grew up with is better, but, uh, you had to be a hell of a lot better musician to make these recordings because a lot of these vocal takes, they're one takes, you know, the band is playing all at the same time. It's not layering in one instrument at a time. It's there's no, there was no, you know, quantizing anything. It was, you know, just you played and you had to sing in tune. You had to play in tune and you had to play right. And like I said, a lot of this stuff was one take. You couldn't just punch in like you can now. Um, so I do have a greater appreciation sometimes for those things, like you said. And for a lot of these bands, I mean, they were honing their craft to play live. I mean, they're putting out an album not because they wanted to sell. I mean, they wanted to sell the album, but it was to get on the road and he may play shows. And that's one of the things that hits me. It's like again, Billy Gibbons now in his seventies, but back then, young Billy Gibbons with the beard still, the long beard still all black but he's running around a stage with a guitar, playing it in tune and on note, and he's not missing a beat whatsoever. And that kind of uh, musical athleticism, to put it that way, doesn't come from anything but repeating that process over and over and over, over hundreds of shows over years on the road. You can't fake that. Yeah. Dave, what's next on your list? Uh, so I've gone back and I've rewatched uh, all the old Spider-Man movies with my kids. Um, and so, like, that's a bit of a um, communal pick in that regard because, like, we got to experience it together and we did something together and it was fun. Um, but I also have gained a new appreciation for those movies. It's just like going back and watching them over again. Um particularly the first Sam Raimi film, which is just sort of crazy and bonkers. Like it, it was really impressive, like how stylized this was and some of the over the top performances. Um, like it, it was like he had a paintbrush and was just like going to town on a canvas, you know, like arm flailing about because it was just, he was, he, he was like he had a vision and it's on the screen and you see it clear as day and i i challenged somebody to like go back and watch this movie and not just be 
like completely enthralled by William Defoe and the, like the maniacal performance that he gives in this film. Like it's like an all time great, you know, it's like, we all just laugh about um, like general Zod kneel before Zod, right. In terms of like classic movie lines and movie villains and these superhero movies, but like uh, Defoe having Aunt May like, pray to god literally <laughs> as he's like Rumors hovering man. over yeah hovering. <laughs> i was just it's incredible like uh this stuff's really really fun um and i guess i got caught up in some of the um competing uh you know canon is this canon is this canon you know this continuity might be different um and like for for a time i'm like well that that bothers me, but now it doesn't bother me. Now they're they're gonna they're gonna fold all of it in. I was gonna say I love how Marvel gave themselves the easiest out on the planet. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know again maybe that's a cheat, and maybe the new movie's no good. Who knows? Um, but I w- yeah, well, uh, but I will say is like if you actually do if you go back and you watch those movies i think you'll be entertained like there's even the amazing spider-man movies were really entertaining movies um you have to commit to it a little bit you know they have they have they have their downsides they have their stretches of uh emo angst etc but uh uh they they get to the point eventually and, and they're and they're good when they do so my last one is dovetail, dovetail, bleh, dovetails off of that a little bit, and that's I'm just I'm just gonna say Marvel properties. You guys have ruined me uh, because <laughs> of the project that I had back in 2020. Now through 2021, I've noticed, like I, you know, I've joked that you know Star Wars is always on like. TNT or whatever but if it's not Star Wars it's Marvel and now it's to the point where if there is a Marvel movie on TV and I'm just kind of channel surfing I will land on that movie and I will watch it and I will enjoy it and then you know Brittany and I look forward to you know well Hawkeye that just came out and um, you know all the the WandaVisions and the Falcon Winter Soldiers and all that Um, so you know that's it's oh, and it's almost made me because I do have the um, the Marvel app on my iPad because I've been reading some of the Star Wars stuff. It's almost made me, but I know this is going to be a like the uh, it, I'm just going to get lost in the room of requirement if I even <laughs> venture into getting into the comic books. But it's like I'm th- I'm this close to getting like maybe I should start just reading you know captain america let's see what happens you know um but we need to give we need to give him some uh some recommendations dave some of the arts uh, to kind of touch yeah. upon some runs but i mean yeah. like i said you guys that's just one that has become one of my go-tos like i said if it's on it's on tv it's like all right i'm gonna watch it you know um so yeah that's that's not a lot yeah, to say there like- but no, no, it, no. It seems like if it's not Star Wars Weekend on TNT, it's Avengers Infinity War and Endgame on TNT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like every yeah. other weekend. They, you can't, they yeah, that. you can't escape it, man. It's always on. 
And that's how they get you, because they're like, oh, people love these movies. They're going to stop. And Harry and Potter's over on uh, uh, whatever it is, Freeform. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Fredo, what's your so last one? La- yeah, for my last one, I'm actually going to go with a podcast. And uh, don't worry, it's not a Star Wars podcast besides ours. It's a, it's a podcast called All Gods of Appalachia. It's a horror anthology podcast that came out. I want to say last year. I found it last year when it was beginning, was debuting, and then I barreled through the first season, and then I've been listening to the second season. It's only about twenty nine episodes. It's the whole concept behind it. It's written by a couple of uh, local authors out in North Carolina. It's it's kind of like an alternate take history for the Appalachian region, but it's horror anthology. So it's inspired by like Lovecraft, and inspired by Stephen King, and inspired by all you know a lot of the history. So it's 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 beautiful the way they wrap around the idea of, say, like the abuse of coal mine companies and, uh, and you know, little you know, store towns that disappeared with ancient witches living in the woods and you know, monsters you know, buried in the sand, buried underneath the mountain that every time they dig up, you know, they're, um, they're unearthing and they need sacrifice and how they even encapsulate the idea of trains as you know reconnecting and waking up old monsters and whatever like like the last one was hilarious the last one was a thanksgiving no it's a halloween themed one knows about this nurse who keeps finding giant pumpkins growing in her backyard and she goes out there and cuts them all up and the next morning there's twice as many and they're just taking over her yard and taking over the front of her house and so it's uh again they wrap it all up into the history of appalachia it's really well-written, really well-researched, really well-performed. Uh, if you like horror stories and like horror anthologies and stuff like that, I can't recommend it enough. It's a really great little thing. And again, they, they do a really good job of being truthful to the real, to the real history of the Appala- the states that make up the Appalachian region, you know, and the, the realities of some of the horrible history that they've had to deal with at the hands of other people. So, but it's really... Really well done, really excellent. I can't recommend it enough. Very, very progressive also, I'll say, for you know, how it tackles a lot of topics. That is, that's cool. No, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm scared to death of pumpkins now. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> look, you, you, know, you, you go back there, you cut one out, you cut out the roots, and then you come back and there's two. You might be worried. Yeah, no, that's, that's, there's something very basic about that 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 fear of it just coming back twice as strong hydra mm-hmm. there you go mm-hmm. but, um uh, so my last one is going to be uh a little bit of reality television uh the real world homecoming for new york which uh i watched uh i think it was in late spring when it came out i only watched um, the first episode of that mm. I, I guess because I, I that was the only one I could find on YouTube. Do you guys have Paramount Plus? Yeah. Okay, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Paramount Plus, and it's like um, I think that's one of the cheaper services that you can uh, subscribe to, and you can probably I think they have a free trial, and you can quit it, and so it's it's not really that big of a pain to try to add it if you don't have it. Um, and they got all the Star Trek stuff there too, if Star Trek appeals. But um, maybe too. <laughs> yep um yeah but so like 
we got pulled into this. Kate was really gung ho about watching this, and um, yeah, there goes the timer. Um, and so I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we both grew up with this, and I guess one part of the reason that I recommend this and 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 really enjoyed it is because it deals with some of that history, which is that this is one of those first brave new steps into reality television. And so if you want an understanding of why this took over our television sets, um, this is a really good place to kind of get a little bit of that history and a little bit of that insight. Um, And we watched a few of these nostalgia based reunion shows this year there were a bunch of these uh that came out there was a friends one and a fresh prince one um but i think like this is the one that that really stood out for me and i think it's not just because of like the historical importance though those were sitcoms this was this was kind of a new thing real world was um and so like i think it's really kind of an important thing for people to understand uh, just on that basis but i also feel like what 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 really just like drew me in and why we enjoyed it as much as we did is because it it deals with it goes back and it shows you a lot of the stuff that they were talking about um 30 years ago and it's this it's the same stuff that we're dealing with right now today i mean it's just like your jaw drops at varying points just seeing it laid out in that way like oh my gosh and you think you've come so far and you haven't gone far at all we haven't we haven't moved the the needle at all and for somebody if you're a gen x gen x are like us you're you're like wow i mean like i think i feel like we're making a difference or i feel like we were a special generation that was poised to make a difference and then you see like we're still dealing with the same stuff. And so like, there's this, there's this weight that comes with that realization when you're watching this, but there's also kind of a hopefulness that comes out of it as well, because what I do, what I found when, when I was watching this is that I found that I identified with different people on the show this time around than I did the first time around the first time around maybe I was younger. I was a little more shallow. I was less interested in politics and, and hearing different viewpoints from other people that didn't look like me. And this time around, it was the polar opposite. And, um, and I think like it's, if you, if you experience the show the first time around, I think you kind of, you almost have to, sit down at some point and watch this because you're going to have those sorts of experiences. You're going to feel like what is, what is the same? Oh my gosh, this is this, this is the same stuff. And what is different in you? How have you changed? And, and it's like this, this enterprise, the reality television thing, it's like, it's, it's now a constant. It, it was there then it's there now it's not going away. Um, but how do we process these things differently and, and, and how do we maybe begin to make changes um, ourselves? And so and real world, kill, real world killed the video star. <laughs> it did what that. Way, yeah. 
And in a way, you can make a straight line from that real world first season in New York all the way through so to social media and TikTok and YouTube and everything else Absolutely. that we got today. Because yeah. it's because it's very much that concept of no, the this is no longer planned. This is now real life. This is no longer actors. These are people. And now, you know, we've even you don't even need a studio or need a camera set or whatever. Your camera's your phone. You post, you know, or whatever you got, you, you know, hit record, throw it online, and we're, we all become stars. We all become uh, the entertainment for everybody else. And it's it's surprising the impact that it's had even so many years later, just because I don't think anybody would have perceived it back then. I think we just thought, okay, it's a neat little thing, and it'll go. But well, and, no, I, still with us. and I said it j half jokingly, but that mm -hmm. was the that's when MTV totally shifted its focus. Yep. You got fewer and fewer videos and you got more and more of these reality shows and to the point where now you're you get uh like an hour of videos a day or you have to go on MTV Classic. So um or YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Well, My wife so and I have this like brain melding moment with the with real world so we sit around we talk about these things and it's like one or the other of us came up with this idea and i can't tell you who it was i think it's me she thinks it's her but we we both repeat it all the time and it's like the real world san francisco was was a was a real turning point with this stuff mm -hmm. because you had pedro zamara who was this aids you know activist like Let's make people aware that this is a real issue with real faces attached to it. Um, and then you had Puck, who was just me, 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 me. Look at me. Look at me. Ultimate social media star prior to social media existing. Um, and it's like you could go this one direction where you, you're trying to make a difference and you're trying to help. Or you could go this other direction where it's me, 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 me. And I think we all kind of know which direction we this stuff. Yeah, we know that what direction this stuff took. Yeah, yeah. It's like that meme where you see, uh, you know, the, evol the the evolution of humanity, and there's someone going around. Turn around, we we messed up. Go back. So, so you can't tell us whether this was uh, uh, from uh, Manhattan or from uh, what you call it from uh, what's the game? It's Tuscaloosa, where this idea mm. was born. <laughs> No, but uh, it's it's a it's a true statement. I mean, there that I think that was the first time that you know, particularly third season, because by season Seattle, whatever, it just become ever present. It was just a show. Yeah, it was just a but bunch of people partying in the house. Eventually, is what it became. Fighting and yeah, yeah, yeah. and let's but manufacture I was, fights. I think that was the last season three. Was the last one where they really went. We're gonna actually get really real life people and let them get together and really let them get at one another's positions and opinions. I think that because of the reality of what they encounter between Pedro and I forget the other guy's name. No, yeah, I can't Puck. remember. Puck, thank you. Once they encounter the duality of that, they really they're like, This is great, but this made us all look like major league buttholes. So we're not never we are never allowing this to happen in real you know, unscripted again. We're taking over this from here on out. But the stuff in New York is great. Um, mm -hmm. And they go back and you look at it, some of the things. And again, some of that messaging was lost on 15-year-old uh, Dave. 
um, but it's not lost on forty year old Dave. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Like me uh, going to see Rent the other day. It's like a lot of that stuff, you know, back in nineteen ninety six would have sailed right over eighteen, nineteen year old me. Now that I'm in my forties and aware of what's going, what what they're speaking of, it's a different perception and appreciation of it. So those are, I guess. That's the end of our list of our favorite things, at least our top five uh, of 2021. Um, let it, hit us up on Twitter. What are your, what are the things that are geeking you out this year that you find yourself going back to? Um, or if you check out some of the things that we mentioned, um, let us know what you think of them. Um, and I guess until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And I hope you enjoyed my dogs barking in the background. Um, and they and I will, and all of us will be back next week. See you later. My